a very special Friday Forum and episode of The Square. I'm joined by Blake Arnold, who is the um, fabric, uh, the shop fabricator in the model shop. Thanks for being here, Blake. Happy to be here. Um, and uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, we are going to be doing a live Q&A with Manuel Jimenez, um, who's in Spain. Uh, he's a designer and the uh, co-founder of Nagami. So, we filmed an episode with uh, Manuel uh, several weeks ago, and that'll be available as a complete episode in the future. But for this afternoon, we cut it all down to about 13 minutes, so you can get some background on what our topic is, and then we'll follow this with a live Q&A session for, with Manuel in just 15 minutes. Um, the QR code will be live, so as you're watching this episode, if you want to start putting in questions, feel free. Now, before we jump into the episode, a word of warning. I was on jury duty, uh, so Adam Flaw jumped in to host, and Blake was busy like doing the actual work of the model shop. That's right. um, so Dylan filled in for Blake, which shout out to Dylan, congratulations on the new baby boy. Um, but you're going to get a little of the B team until you come back up here with us live to have that live Q&A with Manuel. So without further ado, here is our episode. Good day and welcome to today's episode of The Square. I am not Brandon Carmichael. My name is Adam Flaw. This handsome devil next to me is Dylan Wells. And joining us all the way from Avila, Spain is Manuel Jimenez Garcia with Nagami to talk all things 3D printing. So here we go. Well, welcome, Manuel. I hope you're doing well today. Yeah. Hello, how are you? Doing good, uh, doing good. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just going to jump right in here, and I'm going to start with, tell us who you are, how you knew you wanted to become an architect, your career path, and how that led to the formation or the creation of Nagami. Hey, that's uh, compressing uh, 25 years in uh, five minutes. <laughs> Uh, well, okay, starting from the beginning, um, I didn't really know I wanted to become an architect. I wanted to be a doctor. And, and then things, things went, um, went to a different path and it started to realize that uh, I was very good at that understanding how things were coming together. And I, I like buildings, I like design, I like graphic design, I like furniture. And in the end, I just decided for architecture. Um, but I've, I've always been a bit of a, of a nerd, so I'm very passionate about technology uh, since I was a kid. Um, so, so the more I got into architecture, the more I thought uh, that it would be good to start introducing um, you know, the digital world more deeply in, into architecture. Uh, so from kind of a second, second year at uni, uh, I started learning... 3D modeling software and, um, and rendering and so on. Like back in those days, that was more used in, in animation, movies and so on. Um, so then I decided to go way, deep, uh, way uh, deeper um, into that and, and move to London after I, I graduated from Madrid uh, to study a, a master's in, in computational architecture, digital architecture at the, at the AA, the Architectural Association. Um, so there, um, I thought that digital architecture was, um, belonging much more to whatever you see in the, in the screen. Right. But, uh, um, back in 2009, when I was studying, um, we started to see some examples of, of, uh, machines that can be tweaked to deposit material, to, to, uh, CNC material. I started to get like my first, um, kind of uh, connections with, with 3D printing, very small <laughs> 3D printing, right? Um, that was what, what was available. And, and then a few years later, when I, after I graduated, I started uh, running a, a research lab at the, at the Bar of the School of Architecture. So then uh, um, I thought, well, rather than doing it as a university research, let's take the risk, uh, convince my, my brother and, and um, and a very good friend of mine, uh, who's now my third partner in the company, 
um, get a, a second-hand robot, put it in my hometown, back in Spain, um, spend two years of our life uh, designing a, a tool that could actually extrude plastic, right? Like, so three architects really working on a technology that we were really not related to and, um, and creating a, a code uh, that would allow us to materialize a, a design from the computer uh, to um, uh, the physical reality uh, using our tech and, uh, and an industrial robot. So when it comes to Nagami, uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit about the company and, and what you do specifically there. Well, so um, Nagami is, is actually ma mainly a design brand, uh, but that specifically works with uh, recycled plastics uh, in larger scale 3D printing. So we have industrial robots. Uh, right now we have um, seven, and we're actually looking at um, extending it with another uh, 25 um, in a few months from now, which is exciting. And so what we do is we take recycled plastic, uh, we mix it with uh, colorants, uh, we treat it right. Um, we get it through the extruder that we, we develop. So it gets uh, hit up, right? and and then gets deposited layer by layer or even printed in the air, right? Um, and to, to make that possible, uh, we developed uh, uh, different parts of uh, or pieces of software, right? Um, that allow us to communicate very smoothly with, the, with, the, with our, our um, uh, machines, right? Uh, with, with our uh, extruder. And, um, and also let us uh, simulate and evaluate the, the designs that we do uh, so that uh, they are 3D printable, right? Like, like they can actually um, uh, appear in, the, in, in real life, not through, through our tech. You know? um, so we, we developed a, a very smooth workflow uh, between the design we do, uh, which sometimes also happens in, in collaboration with other designers. Um, the, the, the software that kind of rationalizes it and, and makes sure this can uh, really come to life and the hardware which uh, makes it a reality. Can you talk to what your experimental process looks like, not only at Nagami, but before when you were testing a lot of things, you know, at a university level? Um, what does it look like to be kind of pioneering something that there really aren't a lot of precedents for and figuring out, you know, a lot of workarounds and how do we actually make that into a production workflow, those kind of things, just the difficulty of going on something that's a somewhat new endeavor and how much experimentation, trial and error needs to feed into that process. Sometimes we believe that within the range of possibilities that we know we can manage, sometimes even for you know, one thing or another, it fails, right? And you, you get material dropping and then you need to start again and you need to evaluate it, right? Um, when we started the, the very first project we did, which was the, this Pompidou chair called the, the Voxel chair, um, because we were very concerned with the printing time and, uh, and one of the most frustrating things in, in uh, 3D printing is that perhaps you are actually printing an object um, for 20 hours and at the very end, it fails. You know? And then you want to cry. So because I, I cried <laughs> many times with traditional, like a smaller 3D printers, right? Like after 10 hours, it's like, okay, this is just uh, completely useless. No? Uh, we designed a system um, that was based on prototyping just one single line uh, fragment, right? And then the object will be based on that, that, that same uh, line fragment repeat it all over, right? Um, and even if this is a, a, a very specific project, uh, this is conceptually incredibly interesting for the world of 3D printing. After that project, if, if we want to really, uh, you know, create furniture or create interiors or facades or even architecture, and we want to sell it, right? You can't spend months and months and months at failing prints and, and prototyping, right? So we always um, kind of think about uh, the, the prototyping phase, what it's going to take and how we can streamline it so that we guarantee a good result when it goes into production. Do you still have like smaller desktop 
you know, printers or things like that, that you print test ideas quickly at scale to test out almost like mini prototypes in the process? We don't use smaller 3D printers. First, uh, first of all, because even if you can tweak a 3D printer and we've done it to print uh, thicker so that is more or less equivalent to a scaled down version of the real object. Uh, the parameters, the way the material behaves uh, is completely different, but also because um, with our technology, with uh, our robotic 3D printed technology, uh, we will print much faster, right? So it is actually the real object, but it's also way faster to the point that uh, uh, 3D printing a, um, a small model like this big of a, of a chair um, takes around eight to 10 hours in a desktop uh, 3D printer. And we print the real chair with our robots in three to four hours. And uh, so it's for us actually a much more efficient method um, to not print scale models, uh, but just print parts of, uh, of uh, what the, the real object will be like. Uh, also, I think, I think it's important to, to mention there when you, uh, because we, we do collaborate with, a, with a, a very good designers, um, but, but we're very selective there, right? So we receive uh, lots of requests um, sending us a, a 3D file, like an OBJ or an STL saying, hey, can you print that? He said, well, um, this is, we, we are not a 3D printing service also because most of, uh, of those uh, uh, OBJs that we receive are actually impossible to materialize. So yes, you have much more freedom, but um, you still need uh, uh, to deal with gravity. <laughs> And, uh, and that makes many of the shapes that we receive uh, impossible. But the way we work with others uh, is always having a very fluent communication from the beginning. We love working with designers that understand the technology. And that's why we launched a company with uh, Ross Lovecroft, Saha Hadid, uh, Daniel Widrick. Um, designers that are really embedded in the world of, digital, of the digital, right? Uh, that understand what we can materialize smoothly and how to push that a little bit farther, right? And, and through those conversations that we have uh, with, with designers who are uh, flexible enough uh, to adapt our technology to their shapes, right? That's where the, the, the object be becomes real in, in such a magical way, right? Um, so summarizing that to work with, some, uh, with someone, yeah, we, we need to make sure that, that that someone is as flexible as we are <laughs> adapting you know our technology to to fulfill a specific design uh, they need to also adapt their design to to um, work with our technology smoothly is there anything with this audience in mind that you would just kind of leave them with or charge them with you know is it like just 3d print more or is there other things that you'd you'd like to say Definitely 3D print more. <laughs> That's the first thing I would say. Um, no, I would just say that uh, I, I think we need to enjoy this moment. I think it's, it's an incredibly fascinating moment for, for design and architecture. The boundaries between uh, design and manufacturing or between the architect and the contractor start to blend, right? New opportunities for incredibly novel uh, design techniques uh, are to emerge, right? And, and that is incredible. And it's, also, uh, it's only going to get better. So I would say, you know, for, for an architect, for, for a designer, for anyone working in this discipline, just, you know, stay curious and, and creative and push for your ideas to, to, to become a reality. And if no one wants to do it for you, <laughs> then do it yourself. Right, um, because then others will uh, want to follow that path or to accompany you on, on that journey. And that is, uh, for me, incredibly beautiful for, for our profession. I think there's another 10 to 12 hours worth of material here if we uh, do a real deep dive. So thank you for your time, Manuel. This has been fascinating. And we're going to look forward to a live session coming up next with questions from the audience. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Looking forward to that session. All right. Well, Manuel, thank you so much for being here. I know it's like uh, got to be getting close to midnight here 
shortly. So I appreciate you uh, joining on so late. Um, and, uh, and Blake, you want to start off with the first question? You mentioned briefly at the beginning of the interview that you originally wanted to be a doctor. Could you share why? Um, well, first of all, because I, I always wanted to do something meaningful, like help in, in a certain manner to like something, right? And, and uh, this one was, uh, was obvious, right? Um, but also I kind of, I felt very, very curious to, to understand how the, how the human body was built. So, so then I realized I was actually meant to be an architect and not a doctor, right? Um, I, <laughs> yes. So I like, like, you know, like knowing how organs and, and, and are put together and, and they, they actually function in, in harmony. Um, so then I, I, I thought it was, it was, it was better to then cre create my own harmony somehow through design. Um, lucky enough, like, I mean, it's, it's very good for the world that I didn't become a doctor uh, because I'm very nervous. So I would probably like, kill someone while operating. So uh, good decision <laughs> in the end. So what is the durability of the materials and exterior uses? You know, I've seen people printing with <laughs> concrete and other things, but, but with, you know, thinking about materials outside of just concrete, what's the durability? Um, well, I mean, plastic is with us forever for a reason, right? It's actually a very durable material, incredibly durable. It, it never disappears. Um, so, I mean, there are like um, different kind of plastics. Uh, if you work with PLA, uh, PLA is biodegradable, so it can actually degrade. Well, that's why we don't use it. We use recycled PETE mainly. Um, We've got the furniture outdoors in very hot weathers for the last five years, and uh, and they are still intact, right? We worked on facades and and so on, and and yeah, durability is is not a problem. Uh, for architectural uses, um, the the most important constraint I think is is fire, right? Uh, so for obvious reasons, and there are different ways to deal with it. Um, so one is uh, through coating, but there's also uh, polymers that are already fire resistant, like the one we just used for Kaiser Forum in Valencia. Um, so yeah, the, the world of plastics is actually incredible. Um, like I, I only know a little bit of it and I, I work with a material every day. Um, but I think through um, the evolution of, um, of, you know, like plastic, um, and, and especially recycled plastic through uh, chemistry, uh, we will get a, a very successful results for the, uh, its application in, in construction, actually. I mean, we can already do it, but as I said, through coating um, in, most, in most cases. Uh, but I, I do think that there will be much more, like plastics that are much more suitable to uh, construction uh, coming up in the very near future. You mentioned using recycled plastic. What is the raw form of the material that your large-scale printers use? Is it standard rolled filament, or uh, do you use the chips from recycled plastic or pellets, or what do you use? Yeah, so we, we use pellets, um, and that was actually one of the challenges when we started the, the company. Um, there was no uh, 3D printer using pellets yet, right? Uh, there were pellets through theirs, but they, they work in, they work horizontally. And, and just by putting it vertically, that is what you need to attach it to a robot. Um, everything changes. So um, we, we develop a pellet extruder uh, also because the filament is already processed, right? So the, the, the material in a filament form is, um, you know, five to 10 times more expensive than, than pellets. Therefore, uh, the material cost will be so high that then uh, the, the price tag of the objects we produce would make them uh, unaffordable. And uh, we really wanted to bring 3D printing to, uh, you know, the, the like average design lovers and, and not just 
uh, high-end collectionist. Uh, so that's why we went to pellets. We have done some research on printing with flakes. Um, that's the previous step from pellets, right? Like when the material gets collected and then classified and cleaned, um, then you shred it and uh, that becomes flakes. Um, so, uh, and then you pelletize them. Uh, we are aiming to print with flakes very, very uh, soon, and we're developing a new version of ours, ours through the for that. Is there are there things that designers can do to make the three D printing easier? You know, if it's um, if it's cleaner models, or I, I don't know what other what other things can designers do to make the three D printing process easier? Mm. It's a very good question, uh, which I, I probably can't answer in a simple sentence. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think there is a lot of uh, opportunities, but also a lot of constraints in 3D printing, especially in large scale FDM printing, right? Um, so the very first thing that a designer should do to make more efficient models is, is to, be, to be flexible and and be willing to have a conversation about uh, optimizing the design or or even better to design from and for 3d printing right uh, uh, 3d printing at least at, at this scale is is not the ultimate tool ultimate tool for uh, printing any shape in the world right uh, so you have a maximum of you know, like 30 to 45 um, overhangs. Um, when you when you trim, you, you print that thick, that then when you trim the plastic, if you wanna like print one layer here, but then trim it and then start somewhere else, then that becomes very dirty and it needs a lot of post-processing, which is something you don't wanna do. That's why we, we design uh, objects. If you look at like most of the designs we have, uh, they they can be sliced in uh, continuous curves, right? So they are not stopping and uh, like pausing and, and continuing somewhere else. Uh, they don't have a, what we call traveling, right? Which is like stop pulling material and then move the robot, uh, put it somewhere else. We do it sometimes, but uh, as I said, the result is not is not great. Uh, so we can only apply it to a specific objects. So and and like this, there are, there are many other constraints. Um, I think uh, it's just really important. You 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 see that coming when you receive a message from a from a designer or an office. Uh, and if the message is, "Hey, find attach an SDL. I want to print. Uh, I want to print it. Uh, can you please send an an estimate?" Uh, that project is never gonna work, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so it just—it actually never did. <laughs> so um, the the collaborations that work great are those where you know there is a designer or someone interested in developing a project and say, hey, I have this idea or I have this client or I would love to work with you guys. Why don't we set up a uh, a call and and we run through these ideas and and you guys tell me what you're up to and and how you work. So it sounds like partnering with you is really a, a key thing that designers can do. Yeah, um, okay. yeah, absolutely. We, yeah, we like that's actually I would say almost the only format that we that we do. Also, I mean, Nagami is not only um, is is actually not a manufacturing service at all. It's a it's a design brand that manufactures through large scale 3D printing, and that's our own technology, right? Um, we are obviously. Uh, open and more than pleased uh, to take designs from others as we do uh, but it's, it's always a collaboration and that's also what makes the the project magical the experience magical and uh, the the overall quality of, of the of the product you achieve uh, magical as well right so yeah, yeah. collaborations definitely well uh, I know it's been a while since you got into the world of 3D printing, but how would you recommend beginners start to learn about 3D printing and how they can really dive in to start producing some 3D printed models or furniture? Hmm. Interesting. Um, I think, um, well, the, the very first time I, I just got my hands in a, in a 3D printer, um, I was actually not even in a 3D printer, like in a 3D printed objects object. I I, I was freaking out, right? <laughs> it's like, what? 
how can this be? I mean, that was obviously in the early days. There was only one company in Spain uh, that would offer 3D printing services, and it, and it wasn't really straightforward at all, right? Um, so I think now um, everyone knows 3D printing, right? Like there are millions of people with with 3D printers at their home. Um, I think that's a that's a really good uh, first step uh, to get familiar with the process. But what I would encourage uh, those who actually want to go deeper and want to create large objects and not just, you know, small prototypes and and you know household um, items and toys, right? But but want to actually uh, push their ideas um, in in a real market. Um, I think it's just that challenge. First, try to understand what you have in hands, right? If you have a 3D printer, try to understand how it works, and then challenge it. Um, and see, well, how can I optimize it? How, like, I know people, for example, one of one of my um, employees. I mean, my my uh, right hand. Uh, this guy is, is he's just amazing, and he just bought he bought an Ender machine that is 200 euros, and then he wrote uh, his own rapid code and and it started printing thicker with it, and it it almost looks like a mini version of Nagami, right? So you know. Play with it, be creative, and and uh, you know question question how the how the machine works and question how you design for it um, before before going to a to a larger scale. That's good, especially for people like me that are not like you, Blake. You're an expert in it. Um, so for our next question, uh, for projects that get messed up or damaged in the in the printing process. Um, does that material get recycled at, at Nagami, or is it something that you just kind of have to throw it out and start from scratch? Uh, yeah, well, we we're trying to reduce the number of projects that get messed up, and uh, also the number of like failing prototypes. Of course, there are, um, and yeah, so we keep them, then we shred, shred them, and uh, right now we don't have uh, like a shredding machine uh, at home. I mean, at home, <laughs> like in our facilities. Um, uh, so we send it to another company to recycle. Yeah, but but um, we have also even like just just shred uh, the material outside and then put it back in the machine, not even pelletizing it, and extrude with it. We haven't really achieved you know the product scale because after a while the the um, uh, extruder gets blocked. Um, but it's, it's a good step, and I think very soon we can actually just take ev any waste that we produce and immediately after just like throw it back in, um, which will be an, an amazing step for for us and and also for three D printing technology as a whole. I think that's that's what we should all uh, aim for. Do you do you always no. prototype at full scale? Or do you, what, what's the process that you follow to progress from an idea to a chair, a light, furniture, et cetera? Yeah, uh, mostly, yes, we, we prototype at full scale. Um, it's, just, it's just more useful. Like there are so many things that you, you don't see uh, when you're doing a scale model. And, um, and to be honest, our, our technology has a, has a limit in how small it can go. Right. Um, we have uh, actually tweaked some 3D printing machines to behave almost like an Agami printer, but it's still not a robot. It doesn't have so many axes, so it's not the same movement. Most of the objects that we do, we can't prototype in there. Sometimes we do half-scale uh, models, especially for tables and so on. Um, but when we do when we do a, a facade panel or when we do a chair, or it's just much like the prototype becomes much more useful for us if we go uh, full scale first, and so we 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 select the areas that we we are slightly uncomfortable with in um in an object uh, or that can be more problematic, and we print those at full scale before um, throwing the the large uh, print uh, to the robot and wait for I don't know maybe 48 hours or 50 hours for it to to finish uh, if it's a, a very tall piece, like three and a half meters or so, and uh, expecting that, ev that everything would work all right, no? <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's good to just get get a few parts first so you cry a little bit less. <laughs> <you know? laughs> In your 
<laughs> yeah. So are there any materials that you would like to print more with in the future that you don't typically use now? Mm. Yes, uh, definitely. Well, first, uh, the world of polymers is, is incredible. Uh, there are so many, I mean, there, there are polymers that, that weights feel and, and look like metal. I mean, it's, it's insane. Or, you know, there's um, like recycled material mixed with coffee grains that we've used or uh, with, uh, with cork with uh, carbon fiber, with fiberglass, with... So I, I do think there's a lot to explore in, in polymers to to also kind of respond to different circumstances and different applications. Um, but then, I mean, outside that, when, when the company grows, which, which is happening already, um, we are hoping to also expand to other materials uh, like metal, um, Maybe uh, we've done some concrete, but it's is is really not in our in our pathway right now, and um, that's also because of questions of uh, on sustainability. Um, but yeah, like combinations between polymers and and metal is is definitely something in our our roadmap. Well, you uh, you know along that roadmap, you're already doing things that are so innovative. Um, what's, what's next for you? Like what's, what would you like to accomplish in the next five years? Is there this ghost project out there that you've always wanted to do that you haven't done? Do you want to print something and put it on the moon? Like what's next? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely not print something and put it on the, on the moon. So <laughs> I don't have to do a, a side visit. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, just in case I can't come back, you know, <laughs> like my life here. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm an architect. Actually, the three partners are architects. And I, I think you can actually notice that as well in the evolution of the company, in, in how we're, you know, how it started from the scale of furniture. Well, like every architect does, no? Like every seminar architect has a seminar chair, and most seminar chairs are made by architects, right? So it's an object where you test your ideas because it does have a structural requirements, right? Like, you know, it has the weight of a person to support. Uh, so it's almost like a mini building. Uh, we started with chairs, but aiming to then go to uh, larger sculptures, columns, like architectural uh, elements, uh, interiors, facades. Um, but what we are really dreaming about is um, is a full 3D printed building out of plastic, right? Um, there was actually like in the in the 60s and 70s, you no, know, uh, we we started really dreaming about um, an architecture made out of plastics, right? Uh, there was mm -hmm. the the examples of the you know the Futura House and the Smithsons, and you know like architecture, the plastic architecture uh, was actually bringing a com like completely new typologies, completely new features, new textures, new effects, new interiors, new everything, right? And we stopped doing that because um, all of a sudden in the, in the 90s, right, uh, it got public that the, the plastic was actually incredibly bad for the planet, right? And we were destroying the planet, uh, which we keep doing it anyway, right? Um, today, uh, plastic uh, has changed, right? Like there, there is so much plastic that we've accumulated since then that we have to do something with it. Um, I do think that if, if that plastic starts to uh, open up a new venues in 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 architecture and design, uh, in, and mainly right in the in the construction industry, we will first of all um, speed up the the process of cleaning our landfill and, and oceans, right? Um, because we we are gonna scale up our demand, like the demand for for recycled plastic. And and I think the the right kind of typology for it is is housing, right? And so I would love to 3D print houses very soon. And uh, I mean, I would say very soon, but we already have a project uh, that we're prototyping. Um, but uh, it's going to be quite a long-term process that keeps me uh, incredibly fascinated about every every single one of the steps. 
I love that. I, I, I'm really curious about it. I can't wait to hear more. Yeah. I'll you next year. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> can you share any more about that project you're working on? The 3D printing the house? house project? Yes. Yeah. So, um, well, essentially is is well based on a on a few uh, very well known um, advantages of three D printing. One is distributed manufacturing, right? Like uh, we can rather than you know having to um, get materials from here, from there, shipping there, pre-assemble there, then shipping again. Uh, I mean, architecture, I mean, the, the construction is a huge mess. <laughs> uh, so it is, I, I mean, you go to a construction site. I remember this, um, very famous architect called, uh, Prada pool, uh, Spanish, uh, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago. And um, he was a visionary and he started doing plastic houses and like uh, based on inflatables um, because he went with his kid to a building site. And uh, after the entire visit, the kid, uh, so he asked the kid, so what do you think? Do you like this? He said, I mean, yeah, it's very interesting, but dad, why are they destroying the building? It's like, you know, every time we build something, it, it looks, it really looks like a total mess. It looks like we're destroying it, right? Um, so I think through, through 3D printing, you know, we can just uh, set up the machines on site uh, or, you know, in a factory close by or even part of the site uh, in a, to create a more controlled environment um, and then just produce the pieces that we need locally no shipping, no CO2 emissions, um, and uh, even being built with a, with local waste, right? So I, I think um, that's, a, a, that's one of the huge advantages of, of 3D printing and, and what we can have in, 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 the, construction, in the construction industry, right? Um, so the, the other advantage is that we can, we can actually create, like, you know, our robots don't mind if we put a completely different piece right after another, right? Uh, we don't have to repeat the same uh, part over and over and over again, like in the Henry Ford um, assembly line, right? Um, so we can introduce variability, right? And, uh, and the world of housing is, is incredibly interesting because every single person has a different lifestyle, a different way of living, and, and their spaces are uh incredibly unique right like you know you have your own posters your own tables yeah your own furniture um so i think giving giving the customer the opportunity to uh customize the the actual form of the of the house and and see how that is how how they feel in that space and materialize it at the same cost as um you know any other shape, right? Um, yeah. Within certain parameters, I think that's something that we you can only do through three D printing, right? Well, you you talk a little bit about sustainability in terms of material. What would be the actual impact of three D printed products? You know, considering microplastics and fume contamination, etc. Um, what would be the Wait, so what would be the impact of uh, recycled plastics, uh, you mean? Well, of microplastics and fume contamination. So this is one of the questions that the audience was asking. I think they're asking, what is it, what's the yeah. impact of the 3D products? Yeah, okay. So um, if you mean when, when you throw them away as well, right? I'm uh, so, because yes, I mean, you are you are taking plastic out of the ecosystem. You are transforming it in, into a product, but at some point, you can actually throw that product away again into the ecosystem. No, so uh, you have you have exactly the same problem. The 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 impact of that plastic will be exactly the same impact as as the plastic you took to create that product, right? Um, the thing is, the kind of products that you can do through three D printing are completely different. Like it's is actually not, or at least at this stage, is not meant to be used for disposable pro uh, products at all, right? Like no one has probably 
drink out of a um, disposable 3D printed water bottle, right? Because it's, it's economically not viable. So it might be a problem that we that we face in the future. But to be honest, if you you know you 3D print some plastic bottles and you transform it into a, a design chair, it's very rare that that chair will end up in the ocean, right? Yeah. Um, it will it will end up like you know being sold, being in storage, right? And some of them will be uh, then sent to recycle because they're they're too big as well anyway, and then be shred and and reuse. Uh, so I do think the the impact that uh, recycled plastic will have in the ecosystem will be much lower, not because of the plastic itself, but because of the kind of products uh, that are using that demand for plastic, for recycled okay. plastic, right? So just out of curiosity on that, does does plastic um, have, and this may be a, a dumb question, but I'm good at asking dumb questions. Does plastic have something that is, does it have like a, a usability life? Let's say you take a plastic water bottle, you turn it to a chair, and then you realize, you know what, I instead want to turn this chair into, you know, part of a house or like what, when you go to reuse plastics over and over again, what is their shelf life? Or what, what are you losing each time you reuse yeah. it? Yeah, so it depends on the plastic. Um, we normally uh, use PETG. Uh, so, and that, that loses a 1% of the, pro of the, of the properties. Okay. Okay. So um, what, is, what is important in there is actually to know like how many times it's used. So uh, that you can understand what kind of product is more um, suitable for that quality of plastic. So for example, you know, you, re you recycle uh, first time use plastics, um, which we do a lot, right? Uh, like from medical equipment, which is a very, very good quality PETG. Um, and that is a, a suitable product um, for, um, for example, chairs or, you know, objects that have um, a structural function, right? Um, when you recycle it again, or maybe you recycle it a few more times, then you can create, you know, lamps and vases and things that have, don't have to support anything, right? Uh, so you kind of like lower the, the structural requirement of the product you um, create as the quality of that material is actually getting lower. Okay, got it. Yeah, that actually <clears throat> kind of answered my next question, but uh, I was going to ask if you had experimented with using your 3D prints maybe as... Uh, in unison with other materials like concrete, maybe making complex form work using your printers, but then using those to cast concrete in. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a very good one, um, which yes, we've done it. And, and yes, we're excited to, to do more. Um, 3D printed plastic form work is actually um gaining a lot of value in the industry and um there there are actually quite a few companies now um many in the states um using a plastic firmware for many reasons right um so you can actually reuse it much more than a foam form firmware right um it's obviously for a certain kind of geometry uh so if, if you if you want to do a if you want to make a box, you know, you would rather use conventional wooden furniture, right? Um, but if you want to do the SF MoMA, um, then, for example, right, it has, you know, like similar um, similar panels, but it's slightly different as well. Uh, and have a shape that is, is very, very difficult to, to build in traditional form, uh, formwork. Plastic becomes a, a very viable solution through, through 3D printing. So um, it allows you for a greater uh, like formal flexibility. And at the same time, it's way more durable than any uh, form board that can compete with those uh, kind of shapes you can create, right? So yeah, definitely. And it's, it's, it's something that we, we want to do much more in the, in the future, much more of it. You probably ought to ask this next question because it's a little out of my expertise level. <laughs> so, uh, 
What? So we typically, with our printers, we print uh, at a resolution that's a fraction of a millimeter. What, what resolution do you use for your printers? Yeah, so commonly from one millimeter to uh, mm, 10, right? We can push it to 15 or even 20, right? Um, difficult to control the 20. Uh, but also we, we print at the variable thickness. So our, our software basically regulates how much material we pour in every single part of the toolpath. So we can go in the same same toolpath in the same layer. We can go from uh, one millimeter, even half a millimeter, to like 10 millimeters. What are your thoughts on 3D printed architecture? Like I know we've talked a little bit about 3D printed buildings, but on, on 3D printed architecture, both as a designer and as somebody who's really kind of on the manufacturing side of that equation as well. Yeah, well, that's a that's a question for a whole PhD. <laughs> so, <laughs> actually, my, my PhD is is about that, um, but uh, and it's in progress. So I can't solve that question fully yet. <laughs> you get you get three minutes. Go. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Uh, I wish I wish I would get the PhD done in three minutes. Um, so I think, look, 3D printing architecture, uh, when, when, like, of course, we're, we're well, we're going to see 3D printed architecture. We're already seeing 3D printing architectural parts, right? Meaning there, there's always, I don't know how many, how many world's first 3D printed building we've seen, uh, but I guess probably like around 50, right? And um, for me, none of them are actually 3D printed buildings. Like we've seen lots of examples of 3D printing walls and then uh, adding a traditional roof on top, right? Um, yeah. And then you need what doors and windows, and and for that you don't you don't 3D print those, right? Like you you leave a hole and then you put it in, right? So, um, you know, if 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 you want to be in the most kind of radical sense of of the word, right? Like 3D printing is it is not um, effectively used in the 100% of the building in any of the examples we've seen. There will be a time when uh, we have multi-material 3D printing and at, a, at an insane resolution so that we can actually see a building fully emerging, like a, a building like fully printed. It's, uh, you know, it prints like the windows and the glass and the, and the, and the steel and then the concrete and, everything together layer by layer or maybe in a different manner right that hasn't happened yet um so that being said i think the the efforts that that many of us are doing to really rethink the core of architecture uh through 3d printing like how do you integrate um like mechanisms how is a 3d printed door like that's a question we had to ask ourselves in like some of our projects right like i mean we printed a we printed a, a, a door and then we printed a sliding door and then we printed a toilet. Like how, how do you, <laughs> how do you integrate, you know, different parts that you currently can't 3d print, right? How do you integrate them in the process of printing? And, and that becomes extremely exciting. Um, and then you also have to be, you know, flexible and not, not like so much of a purist at this stage, because as I said, you know, you can't really fully 3d print a building. And you need to realize that some parts are just not worth to be printed. So, you yeah. know, um, that's why I, I've got that question like so many times. It's like, well, but why didn't you like print the toilet? It's like, well, because then you print the toilet, but then you need to coat it so that, you know, it's like easy to clean and so on. So, I mean, we printed a cage for the toilet, but then it costs exactly like three euros to, to yeah. throw throw this thing in it. Um, so it's, it's really not worth it. When it's not worth it, why to do it? Um, there might be a time when it becomes worth it and we will see it as the technology evolve. Um, but just acknowledge, um, you know, like pick, pick your battles, right? Acknowledge the parts that are, are not probably um, gonna get better uh through your your hard uh work and your your days and and, and nights of 
pain trying to program a robot to do something that is extremely absurd to do, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. All right, I think this is our last question. Blake, you got it? Sure. Uh, how do you maintain your love of craft and design in a highly technical process? Mm, that's a good question. Mm. That is actually a very good question. Uh, but I do, I do have um, a very good answer. It's like I don't have to. Um, just because, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have two amazing partners and an incredible team. We're 15 people now in Nagami, so it's still a small company. We're, we're, we're growing, growing quite fast and we're doubling in the coming months. But uh, they are the ones that are uh, dealing with the technology every day, right? I know a little bit of technology, um, but I'm, I'm much more of a, a designer and, um, and if so, a computer programmer. Um, and I, but I think that like being able to rely on 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 these two two amazingly uh, you know professional people who can pay attention to every every detail and who kind of spend hours and hours and hours uh, identifying which which pipe is blocked at this stage <laughs> of the extrusion process. Um, I can't, can't do it and and. And maybe because I can't do it and I don't do it, then I have time to, you know, keep keep kind of the the overall uh, ideas of of the company, identify the opportunities, and and design with them, right? Um, if I would like get get like thrown into into the the purely technical process, I would probably don't have a space like mental space for uh, doing what I'm best at. Well, uh, I hope you continue to do what you're best at because you're doing an incredible job. We have like, I don't know, eight or Thank ten you. more questions, but it's, we are now at midnight, so I promise I will let you go and sleep. Maybe we'll do a follow-up episode where we can get the rest of those answered. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much for, for jumping on with us. Blake, thank you for being here. Thank everybody uh, that's watching, um, and we can't wait to see you again next time. Thank you so much. Next time I'll come with the house, yeah? <laughs> <laughs>